And if you're not uh, used to being around here with us, if you haven't been journeying through Daniel with us, uh, our church started back in the fall uh, with Daniel chapter 1. And except for six weeks uh, around Christmas, uh, we basically just kind of worked our way through chapter by chapter. And you know, I was thinking back about it this week as I'm processing these last two sermons. You know, the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 6, are incredible stories of courageous faithfulness. You see Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, you know, standing up to oppressive tyrants. The second half, though, is, is a little different. It's made up of apocalyptic visions of, of terrifying beasts and difficult visions of the future. And for me, one of the things that's really been amazing is how relevant all this stuff really is. I mean, it apparently doesn't matter if you're living in the 6th century B.C. in Babylon or in 2021 in Luling, Texas. Everything is kind of the same. And that's because, like I'm titling this message today, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And so today in our story, we see Daniel grappling with some actual real-world events, but they are interpreted, interpreted in a spiritual way. And the question that's really come to my mind all week long is this. How do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with disappointment? How do you all deal with disappointment? Because the reality of it is, is that however long you live, in whatever century and in whatever place, you are going to face disappointment. You know, I think about this past year and high school seniors who had their whole lives in front of them, plans they'd made since the time they were born about what college they were going to go to. That didn't work out too well. Freshman year of college is not the way they had planned it to be. Think about grandparents. I've mentioned this a few times, who had great travel plans that have been frustrated because of pandemics. Think about birthdays that have been missed because of uneasiness with being around family. Man, that is disappointing. And maybe you're like me, and at times when you face this kind of disappointment, you, you struggle a little bit to understand what God is really trying to do. You, you struggle to respond in the appropriate way. Well, that is exactly what we're going to see this morning from Daniel chapter 10. Daniel faced a disappointing set of circumstances, and he responded the right way. He responded spiritually. And so this morning, our sermon in a sentence is really simple, that we can be faithful for the future despite disappointment because we can confidently engage the brokenness of our world with the good news of Jesus. We can confidently engage the brokenness of our world with the good news of Jesus. And so that brings us this morning to Daniel chapter 10, and I hope you've got it there with you. We'll jump right in and read Daniel 10 and starting in verse 1. Y'all there? Yeah. Okay, they're here, they're there, here, so I hope you're there, there. Let's jump in. Daniel 10, 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict or war. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning 
for three entire weeks. I did not taste any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. Now this chapter, chapter 10, is the historical introduction to the fourth and final vision contained in the book of Daniel. We're going to look at that vision in more detail next week in chapters 11 and 12. The thing I want you to know this morning is that this vision came to Daniel in a time of incredible personal disappointment. If you were here in person or online with us last week, you remember in chapter 9, Daniel poured his heart out to God. This prayer of dependence and confession, asking God to be faithful to his covenant people and bring them back from exile to establish them again in Jerusalem. And of course, last week we saw in depth, maybe too in depth, that God intended to do that. He intended to bring them back to Jerusalem. And even more than that, he intended to fix the underlying cause of the exile, this brokenness that was within them, this defiled heart that only went after its own sinful ways. And so I told you that in 539, the first year of Cyrus the Great, we saw in the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 1, that the first round of exiles were able to return from Babylon and head back to Jerusalem. And they did that. They got there in 539 and they got to work. In fact, in the book of Ezra chapter 3, we see them relay the foundation for the temple. And everybody rejoices and they sing songs to God. And then you turn the page and they start to face some opposition from the people who'd stayed behind. While the rest of the exiles were in Babylon, some people stayed in the land. And these people rose up in opposition against the returned exiles and they put a stop to the work. In fact, the book of Ezra tells us that they didn't get back to work on rebuilding the temple until the end of King Cyrus's reign. And so here in chapter 10, we pick up and we're in the third year of Cyrus's reign. Daniel's hopes, God's promises of a restored temple had been frustrated. He was disappointed and he's sad. He's mourning over the fact that the temple that, had been told, that he'd been told was going to be rebuilt wasn't and that the plans had stopped. You know, the first month of the year was supposed to be for Israel a time of great celebration marked by the remembrance of the Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's supposed to be a wonderful time as the people gathered together to think through what it meant to be God's redeemed people, those he had miraculously brought out of slavery in Egypt and settled in the Promised Land. But Daniel had no appetite for feasting. He was brokenhearted and disappointed, and so he mourned for three weeks. But listen, this is not the kind of mourning that you or I might would do, the melodramatic, sulking and pouting, the slamming the door on the way to your room, you know, it's nothing like that. Instead, Daniel engaged his disappointment spiritually. The brokenness that he saw around him, he engaged spiritually through prayer and fasting. You know, all throughout the Bible, fasting is this incredible act where a person brings their body and soul together in dependence and humility before God. In every case you think of, you go through and, and pick them out. I, I thought of a couple. One that sticks out to me, an example of fasting and prayer, was when David is mourning and fasting over his child that Bathsheba had given birth to and the child is sick. And when Daniel finds out the child is sick, he fasts. And it's actually 2 Samuel 12. 
It says he fasts, he wouldn't eat any food, and he prayed to the Lord that the child would be saved. Right? He was brokenhearted that his offspring was ill, and he brought it to the Lord in a spiritual way, through prayer and fasting. Another one to me that jumps out is Jesus, who after his baptism is driven into the wilderness and for 40 days fasts. Now, David obviously is overcome with sin and conviction. And so he pours his heart out before the Lord, like we have recorded in Psalm 51. But Jesus is sinless. And so you might be wondering, like, what's going on with the fasting, Jesus? Well, fasting not only expresses conviction and guilt, but it expresses dependence on God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He was completely dependent on God, even when Satan tempted him with a loaf of bread, you know, turning the stone into a loaf of bread. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was completely dependent on God. And that's what fasting does. But then you take a step back and you think about it. And when we look at the brokenness of our world, the things that often cause us disappointments, fasting and prayer don't always seem the most effective method of engaging them. You know, unbelievers mock thoughts and prayers. And they say, we need something, real action. As if prayer and fasting isn't real enough. But listen, this disagreement, this difference in approach to prayer and fasting really underlines the fact that while Christians and non-Christians can sometimes agree about brokenness in the world, we can all point to it and say, yeah, that's messed up. We almost always disagree on the solution to those problems. You know, as Christians, we don't believe that the biggest problems facing our families, our schools, our community, or our country, we don't believe these are just physical problems that can be managed in physical ways. Like they need an economic solution, or a political solution, or an education solution. No, we believe at their heart, all the situations of brokenness and disappointment in our world require a spiritual solution, and therefore they must be engaged spiritually. And Daniel shows us that. He's brokenhearted over the fact that God's people have faced opposition in Jerusalem, and instead of trying to come up with a way that he can maneuver the powers of politics to get them back to work, he mourns, fasts, and prays. See, Daniel understood something that you and I have to understand. Brokenness must be engaged spiritually because brokenness has a spiritual cause. Brokenness has a spiritual cause. And I want to show you that here in a second. But after Daniel prays to the Lord for 21 days, prayer and fasting, God responds to him. And he sends him the vision of chapters 11 and 12. And the vision comes by way of a messenger, uh, an exalted divine messenger. Look with me here at verse 4, and we'll keep reading. It says, On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body also was like beryl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words was like the sound of a tumult or of a great crowd. Now, scholars are sort of divided on the identification of this messenger. You know, some of them say that maybe this messenger is an angel 
Others go beyond that because the way he's described is pretty unique in Scripture. Maybe it's an angel that's reflecting the glory of God. Now, other commentators say this is God himself. And, and I encourage you to kind of do the research. This, this is the fun part of the Bible, you know, that nobody has a special line on its interpretation, that each one of us, under the inspiration of the Spirit and using the good tools of common sense and historical facts, can arrive at a solution. And I've done that this week, and there are two passages that I think you ought to compare with Daniel chapter 10. It's Ezekiel chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 1. Both of those prophets also received uh, a vision that looks a lot like this, Ezekiel and Ezekiel 1 and John the Apostle in Revelation 1. And based on the comparison I've made, I believe this messenger is the pre-incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Godhead before he took on flesh to be born as Jesus of Nazareth. And I believe he comes to give Daniel this message, not just of uh, impending doom, but to comfort him and to awaken him to the reality of his situation. You see, Daniel might have been tempted to think that the opposition the people in Jerusalem were facing was a political problem or a sociological problem. But here, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, comes to him and says, No, Daniel, this is a spiritual problem. Look with me down at verse 12. He continues, he speaks to him, and he says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this, and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I've come in response to your words. Now, now listen up and put on your seatbelt and hang on tight. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I'd been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision pertains to the days yet future. Listen, I don't know. You, you'll have to do your own digging on de deciding who this messenger is. Like I told you, I think he's a pre-incarnate son of God. But the more challenging thing is not the identity of the messenger, but the message the messenger brings. Right, And he says that behind the actual facts of the situation in Jerusalem, behind the brokenness and the disappointment, is a spiritual battle being waged in the heavens. He says that there is a person called the Prince of the King of Persia, and that there's another individual, Michael, one of the chief of the princes, and that they are engaged in conflict, a heavenly war. And this heavenly war actually makes a difference. It impacts and influences the events of our world. So much so that Daniel had been fasting and praying for 21 days. And from the first day, this divine person had tried to come and give him the message. But he was delayed for 21 days because the prince of the king of Persia was battling him. Now, I, I know this is crazy a little bit. And depending on who you talk to about this, they might suggest that you are a little insane. But this is what the Bible is saying right here. That there are spiritual beings hidden from our sight, currently engaged in spiritual conflict. And the things that happen there in the realm of the unseen influence the things that happen here where we can see it. And so I know we're modern people. And we're supposed to be beyond superstition. right? We're not allowed to let fairy tale things like angels and demons 
influence the way we view the world. But the Bible is crystal clear. That's exactly what's going on. And I would suggest that our age is one that's ready to hear this message. You know, we live in an age of conspiracies. Everybody's talking about conspiracies. You know, who are you and, and what's going on in the world? And you, you think about politics and the events on social media, and, and it's everywhere. I mean, we talk about this thing called dark money, dark money. And around the election, you know, we're talking about all these billions of dollars of dark money that's being spent on political ads and political campaigns. Who is this dark money? Where does this money come from? It's an unseen force influencing what's happening in the real world. I don't know if you saw recently, Facebook and Twitter have deactivated millions of accounts, the vast majority of which are called bots. They're just fake. They, they're created on a bot farm somewhere in some country far around the world, just computer accounts spreading all kinds of stuff. Mainly they're set up to sow seeds of discord and misinformation in the online discourse around social problems and political events. These bots, who controls them? Where do they come from? They're hidden and unseen, but influencing the events of our world. Sometimes they actually cause real damage. I saw last week a hacker hacked into a water treatment plant in Florida, mess around with the chemicals, trying to poison the water supply. Yeah, exactly. So there are unseen things in our world causing real-life problems, whether it's conspiracies, dark money, bots, or hackers. And y'all are telling me that I can't believe that there are angels and demons actually influencing the world? No, I'd rather stand with Scripture. I, I believe with all my heart that there are things happening in the heavenly realm and the unseen places that are absolutely changing the events of our world. I mean, whether we're talking about from the very beginning, when Satan came to Adam and Eve and tempted them to disobey God. No, he, he has always sought to distract from and deceive people to what God is doing in the world. And he's still up to his old tricks. I mean, we see it in the New Testament where he personally confronted Jesus, sought to tempt him away from obedience to the Father's will. He entered into one of Jesus' disciples, Judas, and compelled him to betray Jesus to the Jewish religious leaders. He sent his demons to annoy and pester Jesus and his apostles. They couldn't go anywhere without some demon causing a scene. And he still seeks to gain a foothold in the church and in our families by sowing seeds of discord and anger and getting his foot in the door so he can rip those divisions wide open. And according to Daniel 10, he can gain influence even over entire nations. The prince of the king of Persia. Later we're going to see in chapter 10, the prince of the king of Greece. He can control entire nations. And I mean, if you let that sink in a second, and you were to analyze our world through that scheme, through that grid, through that lens, you'd see that Satan doesn't have to look very hard for opportunities to divert our attention away from God or to deceive us into disobedience. I mean, there's global pandemics that he could use. There's social media. There's political instability. There's the drug trade and human trafficking. Think of all the ways he could get his foot in to point people away, to trap them from participating in all the good that God plans for the world. Brokenness 
must be engaged spiritually because it has a spiritual cause. And I give you that maybe not every broken situation and every disappointing circumstance in our world is a direct result of Satan's schemes. But listen, Jesus also said that it's out of the mouth that one speaks. And that what we are in the fruit of our lives reflects what we are at our root. That you can't draw good water from a sour well. That you can't get grapes from thorn bushes. And so even if the little petty disagreements we have with the people around us aren't the direct influence of some satanic scheme, it's still a spiritual problem. It comes from a broken heart, a place that's twisted and distorted in and itself, not living in the way that God would have us live. And so every situation of brokenness must be engaged spiritually because every situation of brokenness has a spiritual cause. But here's the good news. If it's got a spiritual cause, that means that every situation of brokenness requires a spiritual cure. It needs a spiritual cure. So look with me down here at verse 18, and I want to show you this spiritual cure. Daniel's continued getting this vision, and each time this messenger speaks, we don't, we're not really going into this, but each time the messenger speaks, Daniel's sort of like blown away and weakened and can hardly even stand and speak. And so finally here in 18, he gets some good news. This one with the human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? For I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth, and behold... The prince of Greece is about to come. However, I'll tell you what's inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there's no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Now we started this chapter with Daniel disappointed and mourning. And here we have a drastic change. Right? What started with mourning has turned into peace and courage. In fact, this speaker says, peace be with you. Literally, peace be to you. The same exact words that Jesus will speak in Luke 24, 36, when he walks into a room after his resurrection, where his disciples are huddled up, scared in a corner. He walks in through a locked door and says, peace be to you. Right? And that's exactly what he does for Daniel. He sees him in his brokenness, in his mourning, in his grief, and he says, Peace be to you, Daniel. Be courageous. Look at what I'm doing. Though your circumstances may not be what you'd want, that doesn't mean my plans have failed. I'm going to show you what's written in this book, the book of truth. I think the book of truth is just simply God's will, His, His perfect knowledge of all that will happen in the world from Daniel's day until the end of time. And He's going to tell him perfectly what's in it. We're going to see briefly next week in chapter 11 that what He tells him is in vivid detail the exact way that history played out. Right? That God's plans have not been thwarted just because the temple reconstruction project has been put on pause. No, God still intends to do what He needs to do. Don't be so discouraged. Daniel, have peace and be courageous. He goes on to tell him this vision, and he gets to the very end of things. And we're going to see this more in detail next week, but I want to read it to you now. That there's a reason that 
this divine being, this messenger, this son of God, comes and brings this message to Daniel. He wants him to know and to write down all that he intends to do in the world. Because he's not planning to stay hidden in the heavenly places and sitting on his hands and just hoping things work out okay. Instead, he intends to take the fight to the spiritual forces of darkness. He intends to do something about it. And because of that, he's able to tell Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, what happens at the very end of time. This is the final spiritual cure that we all want, that we're all hoping for and looking towards. So turn there with me, Daniel 12, verse 1. He says, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, that is everyone who's found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Listen, every situation of brokenness in our lives must be engaged spiritually because every situation of brokenness in our lives has a spiritual cause. But this passage tells us that every spiritual situation of brokenness in our lives has a spiritual cure. And that final cure is what Jesus told Daniel right here in Daniel chapter 12. It is the future resurrection. When God intends to raise the dead to new and glorious life, to live with Him forever in the new heavens and new earth. In that day, every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more sickness, no more sadness. There will no more, be more no polar arctic blasts keeping God's people from gathering together to worship. No, it will be perfect forever. Every situation of brokenness will be turned on its head and all things will be made new. But how do we get there? That's the question. Here you and I are in 2021, a year into a global pandemic, so many disappointing and frustrating examples of brokenness in our lives. How are we ever supposed to get to that glorious day? Well, it happens like this. This pre-incarnate son of God who brings a message to Daniel didn't count equality with God as a glorious divine being, as something to be selfishly held on to. But he made himself nothing and was born in the likeness of man. Paul says in Galatians 4 that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that in him we might receive adoption as sons. We get to that final glorious day because Jesus, the son of God who came and delivered Daniel's message, left the glory of heaven and entered into the brokenness that you and I feel. He took on human flesh. And he lived a sinless life, perfectly obeying God's law in every way. And he offered himself up as a sacrifice to God in his death. And then three days later, he was raised up again to glorious life. But this death is important. You know, the Bible tells us that this, this death accomplished several things. It says that his death secured our forgiveness secured our forgiveness, removed the guilt of stain from us so that we could be in fellowship with God again. I love the way Isaiah put it. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. 
but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When this Son of God left heaven and took on human flesh, he died to secure your forgiveness. But he also died to set you free from the guilt and the grip of sin. Paul says it in Romans 6, that we're buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised to walk in newness of life. He asked the question, how can those who have died to sin go on living in it? Now Jesus died on the cross and by faith in him we're united to him so that we share in his death so that sin no longer has dominion over us. We're not bound to offer our bodies to sin just so that we can, uh, I don't know, multiply the examples of brokenness in the world. No, we're to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice and our members to him as slaves of righteousness. That's accomplished because the Son of God left heaven and entered into our brokenness and died. The author of the letter to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus became like us in every respect. He even shared in our flesh and blood so that he could disarm Satan who, who used death to bludgeon us into obedience. Who said, hey, you need to eat of this tree so that you can be like God or you need to pursue immortality and life on your own. No, we don't have to be afraid of Satan. All he can do is kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came to disarm Satan. Jesus left his place in heaven and took on brokenness, and I love this. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, so that we could be assured of our future resurrection. The vision that the Son of God gave Daniel in chapter 12 of dead bodies rising up out of the ground and living forever and ever as stars in the sky was secured because Jesus suffered and died on the cross and three days later, later was raised again. Paul calls him the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. Him in his time and us someday soon in ours. That is the spiritual cure to every situation of brokenness. It's been dealt with by Jesus in his life, death, and his resurrection. So, like Daniel learned, there's no reason for us to despair or to grieve over some perceived disappointment. In God's economy, because of what Jesus has done, no defeat is final and no disappointment is forever. He's already undoing the brokenness that we see all around us and promises one day soon to finish what he started. So let me ask you again, church, how do you respond to disappointment? How do you deal with situations that don't go the way you want? Well, I hope this morning you've recognized that there's more to that situation than meets the eye. If every situation of brokenness has a spiritual cause, your, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. And my old pastor used to say that if you can prick somebody with a pen and blood comes out, they're not your enemy. That means your spouse is not your enemy. Your kids are not your enemy. The bully at school is not your enemy. The teacher is not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. The politicians aren't your enemies. Your struggle is against uh, not flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of darkness in the heavenly places. The people around us, they're suffering from their own brokenness. And the brokenness they bring into our world hurts and causes disappointment and pain. But they're not the problem. That's just the symptom of the underlying cause. So remember that Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. And what we are on our branches reveals what we are in the root. And so if you're facing conflict, brokenness in relationships, the first thing to do is to own up to the ways that you perpetuate that brokenness. I mean, if you keep seeing yourself, listen to me, if we are the instigators of brokenness in our homes or in our workplaces or in our schools, if we're the one who keeps getting in our own way and causing problems, then we ought to start there in dealing with our disappointment. We ought to do as Jesus called us to do and repent of our sins and seek Him first and foremost to lay ourselves bare like David did in Psalm 51 and say, against you and you only have I sinned, O God. Maybe today is the day that in dealing with disappointment and frustration in dashed hopes, scattered dreams, you own up to the fact that a lot of what you're facing is of your own making. You need to confess your sins to God. You need to ask for His forgiveness. You need to trust that the death Jesus died to sin, He died once for all, and forgiveness has been secured for you in Him. Turn to Him today. Don't perpetuate brokenness in your life. Find the forgiveness that Jesus died to give you. But then again, maybe you're not the instigator of brokenness. Maybe you have suffered under someone else's brokenness, and they have perpetuated violence and harm towards you. In some way, we got to be like Daniel in those circumstances. And rather than seeking to get back at them, to find some way of revenge, of making them hurt as bad as we hurt, we have to mourn as Daniel did. We have to lay ourselves bare before God and cry out to Him, asking Him to move in them, to help them to see that the things they say, the things they do, cause so much harm and pain in our lives. Maybe we need to pray for 21 days. Make it an effort every day. Set an alarm at 8 o'clock. Every day at 8 o'clock, I'm going to pray for five minutes for my spouse, for my kids, for my boss, for my teacher, for my friends. God, I can't fix them. Only you can. For 21 days, you make it your daily prayer that God would change them from the inside out, that he would bring a spiritual cure to the brokenness that has a spiritual cause. That's what we do if we really followed the lesson that God's speaking to us today from Daniel. But then what if we took it one step further? We've been talking about the spiritual brokenness in our world that requires a spiritual solution. What if we made it closer to home? That the brokenness, not in the world, but the brokenness in Luling must be engaged spiritually. What I'm talking about is not each of us as individuals or as families somehow owning up and facing just the brokenness that we perpetuate and that may be perpetuated in our lives. But I'm talking about as a church. What if we were as brokenhearted over the things we see in this community as Daniel was for the things he saw in Jerusalem? You know, this week I had the opportunity to speak with some administrators from our school district. And they were kind of explaining, I mean, you know how hard of a year it's been for teachers and administrators here and everywhere. But I live here, and so I care most about here, uh, just to be honest with you. And so they were sh sharing with us about some of the stuff that's happened this year and some of the good things they've been able to do for kids who are in messed up situations. And uh, I was really encouraged by that to see the heart that they have for helping kids who struggle with homelessness and hunger and who don't have clothes to wear. But I asked them a question. 
You know, if God could perform one miracle that would change everything about our school district, what would it be? And I give a cool answer, and maybe I can share that with you another time. But in the back of my mind, as I was listening to their response, I had my own. If God could perform one miracle that would radically alter the situation of every kid in our school district, of every home in our town, it would be that the brokenness I see out there be seen for what it is, a manifestation of a spiritual cause and requires a spiritual solution. If God would save the lost people in this town, everything would be different. Everything would change. I believe if everybody in this town came to know Jesus, drug use would go down. Instances of domestic violence would go down. Kids would do better in school. False teaching would be eradicated completely. That's what this town needs. This town needs somebody who's going to engage the brokenness we see spiritually, believing that it has a spiritual cause and therefore requires a spiritual solution. No politician, no city council member can solve the problems this town faces. No educator can fix it. Only Jesus can. And church, I don't know what it would take for you to get as brokenhearted as Daniel was for Jerusalem, but I'm just about there. One more interaction in this town with a broken person, and I think I might break myself. I want to see God do something that only God can do. I want to see Him transform this town in a way that nobody could see coming. And I need your help. On March 14th, we are going to enter into a 21-day season of prayer and fasting. Not for God to bless our church, but for God to change our town. To pour our hearts out like Daniel did, seeking persistently. God, you said your gospel would go forward. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know, every preacher has told you that gates are defensive. Jesus envisions the church triumphant, marching, taking the fight to Satan himself. We're not sitting back, letting him run rampant in our town one day longer. We are taking the fight to him because we believe Every situation of brokenness has a spiritual cause and requires a spiritual cure. And we're the people who've got the good news of Jesus. So church, we can be faithful for the future, now and whatever comes, if we'll confidently engage the brokenness of our world with the good news of Jesus. Y'all, I wish you were here. We'd shout and pray together. But as it is, if you're ready for that, just thumbs up on Facebook or do something, I don't know. And we're going to pray here, and I'm going to pray for you, that God burdens you like he has burdened me to face up to the brokenness in my life and the lives of those around me. Let's pray.